welcome to a brand new series. I know most of y'all know me from the Between Two Divs podcast. It's your boy, Cam. This is something brand new that we're going to be doing for the next several weeks. If any of y'all have watching the Juneteenth conference, y'all probably already know this person that I'm about to have on today. If you, you know, didn't watch it, you're in for a treat. This person, you know, inspires me. And hopefully one day I'll be in a similar position as her because, you know, there isn't a whole lot of people that look like us that are doing things like this. So it's always a pleasure to have people like this on. And this series is called Black to the Future. So I think it's, it's cool to have this title because I feel like more and more we're getting more of us in the tech scene. So it's cool to kind of talk about where, you know, we see the future and also, you know, talk about her story and kind of how she started with everything. So without further ado, Kisha, what's good? Hey, how are you? I'm very, very excited to join you and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing great. Like, I know we talked, you know, off air, you know, I was, I was talking to you about how like this, the last couple of weeks has probably been the best weeks of my life. It felt like everything's kind of coming together. So um, it's kind of cool. I'm talking to someone that I think, you know, you're way ahead of where I'm at, but you know, one day, you know, we can have this conversation maybe a year from now and be like, man, we had this conversation. I can't believe all this stuff has happened, you know, all in the same time frame. you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's exciting. And I have conversations like that with a lot of people in my network now, everyone's, everyone, literally everyone's, you know, trying to reach a goal. And I, I have similar insights as you, like I have people that I'm like, wow, I'm trying to get where they are. And I know that people in my network are like, man, I wish I could get where you are. We're all just kind of pushing along, but it's really exciting to see people actually realizing their, um, what's in their imagination. That's what excites me. Yeah, yeah. I tell people all the time, like, I feel like as long as you keep working at whatever you're working at, eventually it's going to come together. It may take you a week. It may take you a month. It may take you a year. It may take you five years. Right. But I feel like eventually, as long as you don't give up, it's going to work itself out. So that's why you almost got to have that almost tunnel vision in a way and, and, and try if you get knocked down, try to get back up because there are going to be obstacles that come your way. But eventually when everything clicks, it clicks. And then you just you're off to the races at that point. Yeah, I agree. One of the things that helped me, I have to relearn this every few years, but is figuring out how to enjoy the process more so than the the outcome. And that helps a lot because particularly like in the tech space and in the business arena, there, you know, you have your highs and lows. Sometimes you're winning like constantly and then, you know, you hit a wall and something has to keep you going. And the only thing that keeps me going really is to enjoy the process. Yeah, yeah. So so tell people like your story, because I know some people probably know your story, but but there's probably a lot of people that are maybe listening right now that probably don't. So tell me your, your tech journey, like how you got started with everything. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Kishaw, Kishaw Rogers. And I actually started in tech a long time ago. Um, I've been in the, the industry about 25 years now. Started like most people in tech. I have a computer science degree. So I studied computer science and my first job was a programmer. My first uh, job out of college was as a programmer. And I followed, you know, your traditional hierarchy in tech at the programmer to analyst, systems analyst, architect. I ran some tech teams. And then uh, I'd been at corporate, I think about a, a little bit less than 10 years. And I started my first company. And now I'm my third company. My first company was a software engineering firm. We actually created custom enterprise software products. And since then, I've created two additional companies. I now am the CEO at Time Study, 
A time study is an, a technology company that allows executives to understand how people spend their time at work. And most importantly, we help them understand the impact that it has on the workforce, as well as their uh, productivity and compliance and revenue. So time study service, I think we're up to, we have employees in over 40 hospitals. To date, we're growing using the platform. Um, We currently focus in the healthcare sector, um, headquartered in New York, and we're hiring. So if you're interested in anyone that's listening is interested in learning more about me or time study, um, my website is kishaw.com. Time studies at timestudy.co. And I think we have four or five uh, jobs open there. But I started like a lot of people in programming and developing software. And the thing that I care about the most is using technology as a tool to impact people. Uh, so I focus a lot on human centered design practices and systems thinking as well. Yeah. So can you uh, maybe expand on like, because I know, you know, you've raised a lot of money and I know. At least for me, I've noticed this because I'm trying to raise money myself right now uh, with a, a, a reality show to help developers. And I, I didn't know how hard it is to raise capital, but you have raised millions of dollars. Like, tell people about that, because I know a lot of people maybe listening. I don't know. Maybe maybe they think it's thought it's easy. Like I thought it was going to be a little bit easier, but it really is probably the most difficult thing you could do. Oh, yeah. It, it's, it's not impossible. I will say that it's certainly not impossible, but it takes a bit of effort and ways that I didn't expect. So uh, Time Study is the first company that I raised venture funds for. I bootstrapped my first company. My second company, we raised funds through grants and academic funding. And so Time Study is my venture-backed startup. I am the first Black woman in the state of Virginia to raise more than a million dollars in venture funds. It is that difficult. So it's 2021 and I was the first Black woman to raise over $1 million. So not a lot of Black people, certainly not a lot of Black women. I think the last time I looked at the statistics, it was something like 0.3% of venture funding going to Black women. I think it's 2% of uh, people that are defined as underrepresented, so people of color. So it is it is quite difficult for a few reasons. We've raised... Uh, Let's see, it's fall 2021. We've raised about a little bit less than $4 million to date. What's been really important to me is balancing the fundraising with the actual business model. So the goal really is to have a business that makes money <laughs> and that makes, you know, that you don't spend more than you make. That's the goal with most businesses. You don't want to spend more than you make. The fundraising, I think the first step to fundraising is really understanding why you're raising the funds. And what you expect to get out of those funds is really important because that'll help you define whether or not venture funding is even applicable to your type of business. There are many other ways to raise funds. Um, You know, there's venture funding, there are crowdfunding sources. I mentioned bootstrapping and grants, and there's just a lot of ways to raise money. So, and then there's traditional debt instruments um, through banks, which um, a lot of people want more runway than what banks offer. But my first, uh, my first very first pitch was in 2018, I think, in New York at the Pipeline Angels Pitch Summit. It was the very first time I'd ever pitched any business, and certainly not on the stage in front of an audience. And we were actually selected as one of the companies at that Pitch Summit to be funded. So Pipeline Angels in New York was the first investment group to write a check 
uh, at time study. And that check, I believe it was around 75,000, which was more than they normally invest, but they, they were able to get quite a few angels interested in our company. And then from there, we, you know, we looked at accelerators and incubators. Some of them are relevant to our to our business. So we were very selective about which ones we participated in. Uh, Then after that, venture funding. So that's how my fundraising journey has gone. Um, But it really started with like pitch competitions. Um, The Pipeline Angels round represented my friends and family round. A lot of people talk about friends and family round. And some of us don't have friends and family that have, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars laying around to give us to play around with. And I don't know either, but you know, I've been working a long time. So I had enough of my own money to bootstrap our prototype and MVP phase and to get us in market. But the fundraising really allowed me to, to hire a team to actually continue our growth. And venture funding actually helps you to continue that roadmap. But really having a very clear idea of how venture funding work is important and understanding what matters to the people that write the checks is also very important because that helps you to understand whether that's a trade-off you want to make. Yeah. And to kind of go deeper into that point, like, is there any particular resources, someone that maybe is looking to get that fundraising they should look into first or, or something that maybe helped you along the way? Yeah. Yeah. I think well, the, the fundraising Bible, everybody quotes is a book called Venture Deals, Venture Deals. And that's the first thing. That book is scannable. It's a resource, but it really helps you to understand the mechanics of fundraising and what it means to get venture funds and what's the difference between venture funds and angel funds and, you know, different kinds of funds. It helps you to understand what a convertible note is. And, and some of the things you just you just don't understand the mechanics of the fundraising. So that book for sure. And then there are organizations like uh, Founder Gym. They're Excellent, excellent organization. But I participated in Founder Gym, which gave me a community of other founders like me. And that was the biggest benefit of Founder Gym for me. So when I ran my first company, which you know I consider a small business, it was me as a you know the per- the person running the company. I was the person running the company, and you know I didn't have a huge community of people that looked like me running companies like mine. But Founder Gym actually gave me a community of founders that looked like me that were kind of on the same journey. But also it was instrumental in helping me to create what I would call a fundraising workflow. So really understanding the the collateral that I needed to create, like the pitch decks and what goes in the pitch decks and what do you put in the email and, you know, whether or not the expectations that you may not be aware of, like um, cold emails versus getting an intro and whether you send a thank you note and what's the cadence for follow up. And there's a lot of like unspoken rules as well that, you know, if you haven't done it before, you just really don't know. So having a community of people that are, you know, a mix of people that have been there and people that are on your same journey is really important because it increases your rate of learning. So you don't stumble around as much <laughs> and hopefully you get to a check quicker that way. But Founder Gym is one that I often recommend. Um, uh, Mandela um, and her team, Paige um, at Founder Gym, have done an excellent job of creating a good community. And certainly there are other groups like that, but groups like that, that really cater to people that look like you and companies like yours. That's what's important. Yeah, that's dope. That's dope. Because I, I feel like um, most of the time, like if you like involved with anything where you can collaborate, like you said, with people that kind of have already done it before. Yeah. It kind of gives you like that almost that head start that they didn't have because there's been things I've done. And I'm like, man, I wish I knew somebody that, that did what I did because I wasted, you know, a couple of years that I probably if I'd have been more efficient, I could have probably done this instead of this. So next time 
whoever I, if I see someone that maybe is kind of doing the same thing that I'm trying to get into or I'm already done, I'm like, hey, let, let me let me help you out so you don't have to do the same things I did because time, we don't have time, unlimited amount of time. Like, you know, once our time is gone, our time is gone. So it always helps to kind of help people. Exactly. And to the point on time, you know, another reason why you want to get in a group of people that really understand where you're coming from is it saves you time because they don't make assumptions about, you know, where you are and your company and what's what resources you have available to you. Sometimes you can get in groups and, you know, they don't really see you. They don't get it. So a lot of the, the advice that you might get isn't relevant to you or isn't relevant to where you are at the moment. And I found communities like Founder Gym to be really helpful because I think they really get their audience. I mean, I've seen a lot of groups like that that uh, try to cater to underrepresented founders, but they really don't understand what it's like to be one. And that's important. And so I think Mandela did a brilliant job of really not only understanding it from her own experience, but creating a team that actually gets their audience. Yeah, that's a good point because I'm starting to see a little bit more companies like that are black or people of color, like that are getting like these big, you know, amounts of, you know, funding from VC firms. But for the longest, like you would see a bunch of companies like Apple, Google, you know, those companies, Microsoft, right. That are like white founders. Right. But then, you know, people like us, we're getting like, you know, you know, you know, multi-million valuations at, at the most, but we're not seeing a lot of the billion dollar ones. Yeah, 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 it's true. Yeah, you, and a lot of people are saying that too, like we're um, approaching our series A round and, you know, it, the numbers of founders that make it through these multiple rounds get lower and lower. So what we're seeing now is, that, you know, there's more funding for seed and pre-seed stage companies. A lot of companies are seeing the problem with actually um, the lack of funding for, for underrepresented founders. So I will say that a lot of companies have created funds for that, for pre-seed and seed stage companies. But what about what happens when these companies uh, are ready for the next round of funding, if that's what they choose to do? And that's where you still see the same bottlenecks. Like there's even fewer founders that are underrepresented that have that have completed a series A, much less a, a D or a C. And you know, just don't see very many of them and the valuations as well, like to your point. But again, I think forming communities is the first step to actually being able to curate enough brain power to navigate a lot of these bottlenecks. Yeah, that's a good point about community because I'm into like NFTs and we're, we're going to talk about this for a second. And what I like to do is like, I, if I see a good project, I'll base the project based on how good the community is because the community, yeah. <laughs> because if the community is good. Like no matter what you have, you're going to be successful. I just, I, cause I keep seeing the same pattern over and over. And anyone listening at home, like you can apply this advice to anything, but I see so many companies or projects that, you know, they neglect the community. And unless you got just a great PR firm or whoever it is, you're probably not going to be successful because you can't, you can't uh, avoid that type of thing. You got you got to make that as your main focus, because if you make that your main focus, you don't have to have an amazing product if you have a great community, because your community is going to carry the product until it gets to a point where it get, becomes a great product. You know, because most you know products starting out, you know, it's not going to be amazing, but as long as you build your community up and you start building along the way, you know, you have people that want to support you and help you out along the way, so you get more leeway as opposed to if you just have a bad community and you have a bad product and then you're already you know, you're pretty much going to be out of business, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, that's a really good point about honoring, like, the beginning and how things start. One of the things that um, I do a lot is keep track of, like, the companies that 
we not aspire to be, but that we're inspired by. I actually study their story and a lot of them are at a point where you can like read about how they began. And one of the companies, this is, you know, not one that's sort of in our wheelhouse, but it's, it's you know, I studied them. It's um, a Groupon, which was really interesting. Um, the way that they began is like a blog. It was just like a blog and they just posted coupons on the blog. And, you know, they were testing a very specific thesis, which was, you know, do people really care about this? Does anyone want a discount on things and to have one place to get that? So they were really smart about that. And they could actually like put a, a blog out and it didn't look like anything. Like it didn't look well designed or anything. It was like a basic blog. And look at where they are now. And LinkedIn started in a similar way too. Um, and I don't remember which website. Um, if you Google around, you can you can look at someone has a screenshot of what the LinkedIn website looked at in the beginning years. It, I mean, it was just terrible. It was awful. And it also didn't cater to the same audience. It didn't have the same business case as they do now. But the key really is, like you said, is having number one, early adopters that are locked into what you're doing. And you have to be delivered enough value to them to keep them locked in. But also runway is important. And that's where fundraising can be a good tool for a company that wants to scale to a certain size, because you have to have enough runway to figure out your market and to get that product market fit. And unfortunately, uh, not a lot of underrepresented founders, we tend to run out of runway. Some of us run out of it before we even get the prototype developed. And I think some of the ways to navigate that is really to be smart about what the prototype looks like. So I just mentioned like Groupon started as a, a simple blog because they, they were not testing like, you know, how amazing and advanced their website was. They just wanted to know if there was an audience for what they were selling. And they were, they were able to get that information to learn that through a blog. And so I would challenge a lot of people that want to get in this space and have great ideas to really think about the next step to validating like whatever thesis you have about whether people want what you're selling. And if you could do that, you know, as cost effective as possible, then you can prevent giving away so much of your equity too early because every time you raise funds, at least through these venture vehicles, uh, you're giving away a bit of equity, even in accelerated programs, it's a little bit of equity and it can kind of chip away at your cap table. And when you get to a series A, B, C round, then, you know, you're, your equity is reduced because you have to give away so much just to get started. So I think a lot of us just have to be a little bit more clever about how we want to get started. And, and to your point, community is really important to keeping an audience engaged enough so that you can validate your thesis. Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, that's a great point. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's just something that like I said, I've noticed and like, it's, it's cool that like, like if you see certain things, you almost could apply it to almost anything. And it, and I think you could apply it. Like, like I always tell people, like when you, work a job, like even if it's a job that you hated, there's something that you could take out of that job that you could apply to the next job or the next venture that you do. Because like, if you, as long as you learn along the way, it wasn't a waste of time. It may not have been the one, the job for you, but you still can use something that you can use for something else and then make you even better employee. If you want to be employee, entrepreneur, if you're an entrepreneur, you know, whatever you're, you're trying to do. Yeah. And even even learning what you don't like is a good lesson. Like even you may have just simply learned. I never want to do that again. <laughs> I tried it. Not for me. But even that's a lesson, you know, because that rules out the number of things you have to, to entertain, honestly. But I agree with you. There's a lesson in everything. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my last question before, you know, I'll let you go. What is something that you 
like you notice when you started your, like started your business that you wish you probably would have done differently now, like now that you, you know, kind of have done several different businesses and different ventures? That's a great question. So a lot of, you know, you may hear a lot of people talk about companies pivoting and sometimes a pivot, when you think of a pivot, it seems like a, a really big swing and a whole different direction. But a lot of times pivots are just uh, reactions to the lessons that you've learned. And there have been a few that I think we've learned from that we didn't pivot away from quick enough or as quickly as I would like to, I should say. We're still in business and doing great. So obviously, you know, our decisions have gotten us to this point. But there are, you know, knowing when to sort of say, you know what, I think I've learned enough about this. And I think we're just going to back away from this concept instead of continuing to try to push it. That's something that I've learned is, you know, really defining what I'm measuring and how long I'm willing to spend time with it. Because as you you mentioned earlier, and I'm in the time business too, every minute counts. And especially if you're um, challenged with resources and resources include people and money and your time. If you, you know, have, you know, Resource capacity issues, the last thing you have time for is to entertain a lot of different ideas. So really narrowing down the number of ideas you're entertaining at one time requires a lot of discipline. And it also requires that you understand when to back away from an idea. Like, you know, we tried it. I think it's enough. Maybe we'll circle back. And there have been, I could think of one time where we we decided to back away from an idea, but it took us a bit to get there. We just kind of pushed and pushed and pushed. And I'm really stubborn. So I'll stick with something a really long time if I think it's worth it. But I think that's another lesson that's good for us to learn is, you know, when is the when is when have you spent enough time on the idea? And maybe when is it time to move on to something else? Yeah, I'm real bad with that. I'm real stubborn. Like I'll spend too much time on something <laughs> that like I, I want to make work and then I realize, man, I I wasted six months. I could have just quit this in three months because I knew it wasn't going to work, but I was stubborn. And my mom's the same way. I, I, yeah. I feel like I got it from my mom, by the way. Is she the same? <laughs> I think we all get it from I, my mom. I, I do. Like, I do. She's the same way. That's why I already know. But yeah, that's the one thing I got to work on myself. But yeah, like, I think, you know, if, if you kind of like see something's not working, like, like she said, like, you know, just cut it loose. You know, you don't want to be spending, you know, more time when you know it's not going to work. Like, because I feel like early on, you, you, you most people usually have an idea if it's going to work within the first maybe month or two, at least in most things that I've done in my life. But, you know, some people, some things may take a little longer, but a lot of times, like I said, you just got to trust your gut because your gut is almost. Yeah. You got to go with your gut. I think it takes time to develop your gut. Also, I acknowledge that it's some, it's sometimes it takes a bit of time and experience to trust what you're feeling, but the rhythm of honoring your instinct and also listening to what the market is telling you is really important. So you can have a wonderful idea, but if you don't include in your community people that are willing to challenge your idea, then you could be in an echo chamber of people that are cheerleading you down the wrong path. So really listening to what the market is telling you about what you're trying to offer. And maybe that's around pricing. Maybe it's around, you know, the the return on their investment. It could be a lot of different things the market is telling you. And then you have to figure out whether or not it's worth the continued push. How much is it going to cost you? How much will it actually cost you in time, money and resources to continue to push? And then it's your choice whether or not it's worth it. But Pushing is fine as long as you're okay with what it costs you. 
Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you getting on here. Like, this was a great conversation. Like, I feel like the time went by really fast. It felt, like I said, I know it did. <laughs> like, like, I felt like I'm just I'm talking to a friend. We, like, we've never met before, but I feel like I was talking to a friend. Like, I was like, you know, just, we're just having a good vibe and everything. We're just talking about this different stuff. And I t- always tell my audience, like, it's so fun getting to talk to people like you because, like, I'm blessed to be able to have the opportunity to talk to people like yourself. And hopefully one day we can meet in person as well. And like, I appreciate you getting on here and I'm sure my audience appreciates it as well. And I'm sure the people that that came from the Juneteenth conference that are listening to this podcast as well, they're going to be appreciative to have like a different take on kind of what you maybe talked about during the conference as well. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Is there anything you want to plug or any of your socials you want to tell people before we end this? Yeah, yeah. I'm at Kishaw, K-I-S-H-A-U. That's my first name. And that's where I am on probably all of the social media sites. And my website is kishaw.com. That'll lead you to the other places. All right. Cool, cool. Yeah, it was, it was, like I said, it's been a pleasure. Hopefully everyone at home, you know, hopefully y'all staying safe, staying easy. And I'll uh, talk to y'all later. All right, bye. Bye.